Hello, this is Tim Phelps, president of the Indiana Conservative Alliance for Energy. And I'm Jonathan Topp, the field operations director for the Indiana Land and Liberty Coalition. Here for the Indiana Energy Crossroads podcast. Each week, we're bringing Indiana conservatives great and new information on what's going on in the state's energy landscape. You know, John, conservatives, we believe in free market energy solutions that promote competition are the most effective ways to reduce energy costs. As the cost of renewable energy options like wind and solar continues to fall, more and more Hoosiers are making investments in these energy options on their own. And today, some are even joining together in order to achieve more economies of scale and even save more money. And we have a great guest today. Uh, Zach Schock is the Indiana Program Director for Solar United Neighbors. Zach is a passionate organizer and storyteller dedicated to promoting justice. He believes in the potential for collective action to build power and shape a more just and equitable future. Building electric system that distributes control and benefits back to local communities with rooftop solar as the cornerstone is one step towards a future he hopes to see. Zach is a native Hoosier who earned a BA in journalism and political science from Indiana University and an MA in communication, culture, and technology from Georgetown University. He has more than a decade of experience as a communicator and organizer. And Zach, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me on. Glad to be here. Uh, we're, we're glad you're here because uh, John and I were talking earlier and we really haven't talked solar at all uh, in this podcast. So um, we're really glad that we're really getting a start from the beginning. And I think that as we start to talk about solar in Indiana on this uh, episode, I think what I'm struck by is how fast it's growing in Indiana, both on the large utility scale developments and more often on smaller scale investments uh, at the home or neighborhood level. So I'm just wondering, can you talk a little bit about that growth and kind of where everything fits together with solar in our state's energy landscape? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question and something that I think more and more Hoosiers are kind of waking up to. Um, for folks who are paying attention, there have been a, a lot of headlines lately um, about significant investments that um, some of our large electric utilities are, are making in renewable energy in general, but more specifically in, in solar and battery storage as they kind of transition their um, electric generation portfolio away from uh, coal and fossil fuels towards um, a, a more renewable energy future. Um, so, so we're really excited to, to see that happening. Um, but as an organization, uh, you know, we also really believe that it's important for um, individuals and communities um, to have a choice in what that energy future looks like and to make sure that the benefits are, are going to, to real people, the Hoosiers around the state and not just to utility shareholders. So we definitely believe that solar is good and more solar is better. There's all kinds of benefits um, that come from solar energy at, at any scale, um, be that public health and you know, obviously cleaner, uh, cleaner energy source. But, but then when you look at um, uh, customer-owned small-scale solar that is growing around the state. Um, there's all kinds of other uh, localized benefits. We're talking about good-paying local jobs. We're talking about lowering people's electric bills. Um, all kinds of benefits uh, that that we can uh, enjoy. Thank you, Zach. So one one thing that I, I was very interested in is uh, learning the difference between the different types of solar. Here at the Land and Liberty Coalition, we mainly support utility-scale development which uh, we work with county 
counties, local officials, local landowners all over the state. I've been every corner of the state working on solar ordinances over the past year. And I I think there's been 12 to 13 uh, pretty favorable solar ordinances passed in the uh, last few months. So uh, I was hoping that you could sort of uh, describe the difference between utility-scale development and solar co-ops and even the home installation systems and how uh, they all work together and the main differences between them. Sure. So, so the, the biggest difference is, is about scale uh, and, and ownership. Um, so, you know, you all are doing great work helping uh, to, to make sure that large scale developments are possible, which is, you know, critical as we transition away from kind of our, our legacy of fossil fuel being our generation source uh, for most of our, our energy. Um, and, and those, you know, large scale developments um, will we'll make a huge impact in making sure that, that we can safely retire uh, coal plants and still have, have reliable, abundant, affordable energy. But, you know, as, as I kind of mentioned and hinted at a little bit earlier, um, you know, when utilities build uh, these resources, they're, they're making a return on, on their investment. Um, and, and the uh, financial benefits there, uh, even, even if in overall they're still at your lowering system costs and, and customers can save money, um, if, if you are able to invest in solar yourself and put solar on your own roof, um, you can see those savings and put that money directly in your pocket. And what uh, a lot of studies uh, nationally have shown is that, you know, uh, local customer-owned solar um, has a bunch of benefits. So it, it can lower your electric bills, which means more money staying in your community. Um, it can also actually increase reliability um, and lower overall costs by putting uh, energy generation closer to where it's used. So you don't have to uh, pay for uh, the really, uh, or at least as much of the really expensive transmission infrastructure that takes the electrons, you know, from uh, the large, large power plant somewhere else to where it's actually used um, in communities around the state. And, and I think, you know, kind of going along with keeping money in the community, uh, good paying local jobs is a huge part of the equation. Um, and while there are certainly economic benefits that come from large-scale solar development. The, one of the key benefits of, of small-scale, especially rooftop solar programs, is that there's a lot of roofs that you can cover with solar, and it's going to take a long time to, to do all that work. Um, and those, those are jobs that can't go anywhere else, right? The, you, can't, you can't outsource uh, putting solar on my roof. <laughs> so those are jobs that are going to keep creating economic benefits um, in our communities as long as we're able Um, to invest in them. And you can see a direct correlation between the growth of of solar um, installations in the state um, with the growth of solar jobs, which basically in the last five years, solar jobs have have more than doubled um, in our state, and the number of residential solar installations has has more than tripled. Um, And we think that uh, we should make sure that those trends continue and actually accelerate. You know, Zach, thank you for that. I think earlier you were talking and you said an important, you made an important point. Well, really two important points. One is giving customers choice, is that uh, customers can have a choice to essentially risk their own money uh, and make investments in power generation on their own land or join with other neighbors and make investments themselves. And they have the choice to do that. And I think that that really is something that's... um, underrated here in Indiana is allowing these energy consumers to sort of take that power into their uh, literal power into their own hands um, and be able to potentially reap some of those benefits. And I think to your point, I mean, one of the things that's always frustrated me is, yes, I think the utilities are doing a great job. 
investing in a lot of new renewable generation, but I mean, they're guaranteed profits, uh, you know, by law. So uh, I'm really kind of excited about more and more opportunities for consumers to be able to invest in their own energy. So, so let's talk about that for a sec. What barriers exist today um, that might prevent Hoosiers from being able to do that? Sure. Uh, well, just real quick before I directly answer that question, one thing I, that I didn't know before is the reason this transition is happening is because solar is increasingly the cheapest option on the market, um, especially at the utility scale. Um, the, the cost of the technology is just decreasing so much um, that it, it really doesn't make any sense not to be investing in solar. And so that, that change is happening uh, sooner at the utility scale, and that's simply because um, a larger percentage of the cost of the installation is the equipment itself when you're talking about, you know, uh, thousands and thousands of panels as opposed to just a couple dozen panels um, for the average size uh, residential installation. But as those costs continue to go down, uh, more people should be able to see those benefits themselves. And so to your point about some of the barriers keeping people from going solar, you know, there are any number of barriers that are either just stopping people uh, outright prohibiting them from going solar or just keeping the cost artificially high. So some of those artificially, you know, high costs are what are often called soft costs. So complicated permitting uh, or other kinds of requirements that, that uh, make it so that not everybody uh, who's capable of putting panels on the roof can, can do that. If you compare the United States to a country like Australia, um, the cost of residential solar installation is much higher here. And a large part of that has to do with certain permitting, interconnection, other regulations, some of which you know, are, are necessary to keep people safe and, and keep the energy system functioning. But some of them are, are really just simply uh, unnecessary red tape. Um, there's also, uh, of course, you know, folks, some folks who um, either they don't own their own roof or they, they simply, it, it is still you know, a substantial investment um, to make a, a residential solar installation. So some folks just can't afford it themselves. Um, but one of the key barriers that, that we come up against here in Indiana in particular is actually homeowners associations, most of which have just outdated uh, rules uh, that, that don't allow people to put solar on their own property. So they basically say, even if you want to put it um, somewhere where you can't even see the solar from the street, you still can't put panels on your roof. Um, and so that's something that in our work where we're directly working with neighbors around the state, uh, we, we come across... Um, very frequently. I know that um, Republican legislator Mike Speedy has been a leader on that issue and has, has proposed legislation a number of times. I think I've always thought that was kind of a um, an interesting dynamic. You know, here's a homeowners association who's, you know, I think <laughs> I think if you were to poll uh, suburbia of America, uh, the, the approval rating of their homeowners association is probably... Yeah, it's, yeah. The only thing less than Congress, uh, you know, it's like you know the guy that reminds you to take your garbage cans in is also preventing us from being able to really, I mean, make investments at, at my own house mm-hmm. on power generation. Yeah, we might be a free country, but not in the neighborhoods. <laughs> yeah, and and really, what we find oftentimes is that um, it's really just a lack of education. Um, so we we've actually in part of our work we we work with HOAs to try to get them to adopt rules uh, voluntarily to allow, allow their homeowners to, to go solar. And oftentimes what we find is, you know, there, there are misperceptions about, um, you know, the property value impacts of installing solar. 
misperceptions about potential glare from the panels, misperceptions fundamental about the technology because some of these rules actually come from um, old technology that was big and, and blocky and, and not what we're looking at today. You know, Zach, let's set the record straight because I think maybe many people, when they think of solar panels, they think about Jimmy Carter's roof at the White House. Okay. <laughs> exactly. So you made some points. Um, let's just, let's just get, let's just get the information out there. Property values, solar good, solar bad. Yeah, so there's a bunch of evidence from all over the country showing that your property value will go up. And that's that trend is only increasing as younger people are starting to buy more homes. And they're increasingly looking for, for homes that already have solar installed. I think the, the last survey I saw from uh, 2019 said that more something like 56 to 60% of people who were looking to buy homes were interested in, in purchasing a home that already had solar installed. And so you're meeting with HOAs. I mean, what are they saying? Uh, what What is, are they willing to make these changes themselves? Or, or do you think that really the only things that make that change is this, maybe some legislation that's that's been in the state house for a couple of years? You, you know, there certainly are HOAs who, who are willing to voluntarily look at this issue, but I, it, there, there's no centralized way to, to go about or systematically um, try to find the HOAs who are interested in this. So I, I really think the only solution um, is either, you know, proactive legislation or, or a court order um, requiring, uh, you know, re- requiring, or I'm sorry, I should say lifting the, the existing prohibitions on, on folks simply trying to install solar on their own home. Yeah. So, so one thing I've always wondered about, especially since we're focused on uh, utility scale development at the Land and Liberty Coalition, is uh, the actual cost savings that even smaller scale development can uh, create. So uh, a little bit of a story, but um, uh, last year we were able to go uh, tour the solar facility at one of the Hamilton Southeastern schools with a newly elected congresswoman, Victoria Sparts, in the 5th District. And uh, we, after uh, touring the facility, they brought out some little kids who knew more about solar than we did and were building their own panels. And uh, what the... Uh, principal of the school there said that uh, originally their power bill had been $300,000 a year. And after they installed the solar panels, it dropped to zero. So I, I was wondering, um, what sort of cost savings will these uh, distributed energy projects at the smaller scale uh, create for local communities? And uh, what sort of uh, cost savings for the homeowners does it create and the home installations as well? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I, I'm familiar with the Hamilton Southeastern um, project. I think it's it's a really you know great example of how solar um, can can benefit the community, especially in times like these where you know budgets are tight uh, and and you know everybody's looking for ways to to pinch pennies. Solar is a great investment that can allow you know anchor institutions like like schools, like uh, you know local governments, libraries um, reduce their facility costs so they can they can spend money you know in their budgets elsewhere, whether it's in, in the classroom or or community programming. Um, so the, as far as like the specific amount of savings, it, it varies greatly between project to project. There's there's just a, a wide variety of variables that play into exactly how much the installation will cost and exactly how much uh, energy you will produce and then ultimately what your savings will be. Um, but, you know, we, we do have um, some example like pricing tables and expected savings tables that are available um, on our website. Um, so if you go to solarunitedneighbors.org, you find one of our solar co-ops in your area, you can get a sense of um, what expected costs would look like and then uh, what your savings would be 
um, over the lifetime of the system. But the, the basic way to think about it is depending on how your system is sized, you know, potentially you could size your system to cover 100% of your annual electric usage. And if you do that, then your, your monthly electric bill, as soon as the system turns on, will go down to uh, just your fixed charge and taxes. So you're saving as much as you can each month. Um, and, and for some folks, you know, you, depending on what your electric usage over, over the course of the year is and, and who your, your utility is, you know, you're talking about, you know, a, a thousand plus dollars of savings um, a year. Wow. It can be much, much higher than that. Yeah. So you could theoretically take your home off the grid and save more on energy than ever with solar panels then. <laughs> you, you definitely can go off the grid. We generally, you know, 99% of the folks we work with do uh, maintain grid tied systems uh-huh. just because batteries um, uh-huh. are still fairly expensive. We, though we do work with folks who install batteries, you know, generally what we, you know, net metering is really what allows, uh, what allows you to basically use the grid as a battery where you still get value um, you, you get value of the electrons you produce uh, that you might not use right away over the course of the month, though that's a complicated issue mm-hmm. in Indiana, maybe the subject of another podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think that uh, going off the grid uh, cop is definitely something that conservatives can get behind, yeah. especially these days. <laughs> you know, I think that you raised, a, we were talking earlier about barriers that exist in homeowners associations especially. So, you know, let's say uh, I that maybe that's not possible. I mean, what, what is, what's someone to do if maybe rooftop solar isn't a good possibility because you no, know, they don't have a good roof or they have like, you know, a shady lot or they don't have the money, you know, like what, what's someone to do if, if maybe that's not the best option for them? Yeah. So, so that's tough, right? Right now here in Indiana, we don't really have a, a good option for, uh, for that person. Uh, but there are models around, around the country that I think can point us in the right direction. So, um, namely, these are programs generally called community solar or shared solar. Um, and basically, uh, what it does is it allows a, a solar installation, or often they're called solar gardens, um, to be planted or, or built somewhere else in the community, you know, uh, some, you know, in a given geographic area in the same utility territory, oftentimes actually owned by third party developers. And then those third party developers work to find subscribers. So, so, you know, you can't put solar on your roof, uh, but you can actually subscribe to this project. The um, energy is then credited to your bill, and the utility kind of works with that third-party uh, developer to, to credit your bill, and then you get savings as if you had solar on your roof. Um, so community solar is absolutely something uh, that we want to see created here in Indiana. Uh, right now, you know, utilities have the authority to uh, experiment with stuff like that if they want to, and there have been some um, discussions, but... Uh, you know, oftentimes in, in other states around the country, we've seen uh, uh, legislation enacted that has basically created community solar programs. And that's something we're certainly interested in seeing here in Indiana. You know, that's, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about market-based solutions for energy. And in a, in a weird way, you have some of these uh, people in communities, they're creating their own market for energy and then going out and kind of marketing it, which is an interesting solution to uh, what I think is a growing problem. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, and I think it, it, it injects competition into a, a monopoly market that we have um, here in Indiana. And, you know, through that competition and, and uh, you know, consumer choice can, can lower, lower costs and, and help to spur innovation that, that benefits everybody. Well, that's great. Well, um, 
Zach, I want to thank you for your time today. Um, I think that this was an important and interesting discussion. As we said, we hadn't really uh, spent a lot of time talking solar, but really when you think about how much it's growing in Indiana, it's definitely something we need to talk about more. So uh, hope to have you back at some point, but we appreciate all of the, the information and for you joining us today. Well, I would love to come back. Thanks for the invitation and uh, look forward to hearing the podcast. Great. Well, uh, that does it for today's uh, Indiana Energy Crossroads podcast. Make sure to keep joining us as we talk to leading experts in the conservative energy movement, as well as the Indiana energy landscape. Thank you very much, everybody.